The year is 1968. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Variant cover. Welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we are going to read through Marvel history from its origins to today. We do this in 10 crucial storylines at a time, and then Zach and I talk about them. You are listening to a variant cover episode, which means we are going to be responding to listener feedback and questions about the comics we read for Marvel Comics of 1968, as well as any other topical questions um, or broader questions that our listeners may have. If you're interested in getting in questions or participating in the My Marvelous Year Club a little more thoroughly, there's a couple ways you can do it. One, you can send any questions or feedback to mymarvelousyear at gmail.com. Two, check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. You can find out all the ways to support the show and all the benefits you get, including our exclusive Slack channel, uh, where many of these questions come from and where we also put out a call for questions that we can then talk about in the week's episode. So this past Monday, we had, or it'll be a, a different time in your time, in your future timeline. <laughs> um, but we had 1968 Part 2 came out, talked about a lot of new series that came out, like Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Captain Marvel, et cetera, et cetera, Silver Surfer. Um, and, and today we're going to talk about your questions about those series. So, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, before we get started, I've had two thoughts rattling around my head all week. I wanted to talk to you about them. I don't know if they're particularly interesting or particularly funny, but here they are. One, in the Ant-Man movies, they've had two Ant-Man movies. Can you imagine a better, like, small subplot than at the beginning of maybe Ant-Man 2 that Paul Rudd gets stuck at 10 feet tall? Like, he's already an amazing, like, awkward actor, like, awkward comedic actor and really good at yeah. those kind of cringe comedies. And just having him stuck at 10 feet tall for the first 25, 30 minutes of the movie... Is a real missed opportunity. Yeah, it would definitely be funny. They kind of tap into that on Ant-Man and the Wasp a little. A with, little, um, but with like... him being stuck just, small. I, just that whole sequence of him being uh, under house arrest, but stuck at 10 feet. So it's just... <clears throat> so it's just him not being able to navigate his apartment successfully. I've just been thinking about that and getting mad that we haven't seen it yet. So, um, And then the other thing... All these superheroes have their, like, prefix adjectives. So we've got the Amazing Spider-Man, the Uncanny X-Men, the Incredible Hulk, the Invincible Iron Man, and the Fantastic Four? Does that mean they're just named the Four, and the Fantastic is just the comic's prefix, and it got stuck? Your thoughts, Dave. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, their team name is the Fantastic Four. It's a team. It's a team name as opposed to an individual name, which I think is mm -hmm. a little bit different. Um, I mean, the Avengers are adjectiveless, but I would argue they don't deserve an adjective yet. Mm -hmm. I just thought there was like something a, that you a lot to dive into here, like a, a lot to pull apart. This is a, a thought that I've just been wrestling with all week. Yeah, no, no. I'm sure this was a crucial, very important decision 
<laughs> that Stan, Jack, and Co. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a letter to Stan Stanley. Please I'm do. Gonna, I'm gonna and I'm find, gonna write a letter. I'm to sure Marvel. they have the address in these books. Yeah. 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 This is unacceptable. Um. No, it's that was the dumbest thought that has been in my head all week. Uh. Okay. That garbage out of the way. Let's read some letters. You know who also doesn't get an adjective? Mm-hmm. Alpha Flight. Well, I mean, they drop it at some point, but at this point, they've uh, everyone. Don't besmirch Alpha Flight, you jerk. God, I'm so excited for Alpha Flight to join the MCU. I've, like, kind of convinced myself that it's just inevitable at this point. Like, in my mind, part of it's just like, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, they're not going to do the X-Men. They're going to do Alpha Flight. Duh. It makes the most sense. Clearly, that's what's going to happen. And I've, I've kind of... Over on Comic Book Herald, um, writer Matt Lane, who does a lot of good stuff for me, he wrote a Future of the MCU piece, mm-hmm. and he makes a pretty compelling case for the introduction of Alpha Flight. I know. I uh, I read that. That was an so, awesome article. I shared some of that in the Slack because yeah. specifically, um, I really liked his call out of having America Chavez be cast as Stephanie Beatriz from um, mm-hmm. from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Very good. Yeah, that's that's a fun article. All right, we're gonna start with one that uh, came in via the Slack. It's from Austin. He says, Zach, one question I have for you is about what you mentioned in regard to the Red Skull feeling shoehorned in, and uh. It's not mentioned here, but I believe this would be from the Amazing Spider-Man Annual number five that we read, uh, with the broader theme of writers giving their comics importance by just throwing in connected chargers. I agree with that, and Dave also made a good point that if it turned out the finisher was behind everything, he wouldn't have cared at all. What's the happy medium in there? Is it characters that are introduced and become important in the future? Is it restructured stories such that there is no reveal, instead just well-built narratives that don't need to be tied in at all? I think it's an interesting question, especially with how, as you mentioned, comics are particularly crazy about tying everything together. It's a good question, Austin. I want to make sure we got that one in. Um, Zach, why don't you start? I think part of the problem with, like, my, my complaints are rooted in that these are different writers generally working with each other's work, right? So you're laying building blocks for payoff that you're never going to write, right? Or not, right? Like, you hop on and write six issues of Spider-Man, and this, this point's kind of moot when it comes to Spider-Man right now, because it's all Stanley. but in general, I think some of the issue is that you can't have, as a writer, have like a, a long-term cohesive plan for trying to have this kind of like story that weaves in and out of itself. I, I think it's, again, I think we brought this up, we talked Star Wars, but I think it's part of the same issue why The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi seem to clash a little bit, because they seem like they have different visions and what they're trying to do story-wise. And so one is trying to set up something, and the other one's trying to subvert what the first one sets up. And I think for some people that creates a dissonance. Um, I think there's a lot there that I actually don't agree with. Like, I agree with the sentiment, but I don't necessarily agree with it as it applies to comics, because that comics is a business and is a storytelling style that is basically different writers and different creative talent get to become, especially the big two super universes specifically, you get to become sort of the custodian of those characters mm-hmm. for as long as you get to remain their caretaker. And it is part of, it is part of what can make comics maybe a little messy. Mm-hmm. Not maybe it's what makes them a little messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also part of the appeal is like this ongoing narrative and the sort of, the almost endless nature of these stories. I do think too that the good creators, 
the ones that is like Jonathan Hickman is the most recent modern example who gets a lot of credit for this for good reason. Um, they plan things out in such a way that they do have time yeah, to get to them and that they do have resolutions in mind for what they're setting up. Um, some writers do not work that way. Mm-hmm. They'll throw things out there and they may or may not ever get to them. Um, and it could just leave, you know, it could just be this lingering plot thread. Uh, that's fine. I think with the case, or I shouldn't say that's fine. I say that's, it can be, it depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it depends what they leave lingering. Yeah. Um, in the case of like Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 5, it's an idea that there's no reason Stan Lee could like, didn't follow up on the skull being a bigger Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Well, like that could have happened. It could it have, except did. that it, really. it, it doesn't really make sense. Like we talked about it. It seems kind of weird for Spider-Man to be fighting the red skull, right? Like his, his villains are much more ground level generally and having him fight like this much bigger organization and political threat, all that stuff seems like thematically dissonant right? it doesn't quite match up with Spider-Man, yeah. what Spider-Man's doing. So, it like it almost makes sense that he didn't. It didn't go on to become. I, I understand what you're saying there, and I think I probably agreed on the show. I I do think there's a version of a Spider-Man story mm-hmm. where the skull absolutely works as a villain. Um, it I wouldn't want him to be as regular a recurring character as say a Doc Ock, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but like there's a version of a really good Spidey versus the Skull story. I mean, I think one thing that I'm definitely not aligned with is the idea that like oh certain villains belong to certain heroes i think any villain in the marvel universe can really go up against any hero and it can make for an interesting story depending on how it's done who's handling it and what the context is well it kind of depends on with if you keep the hero rooted in like their characteristics or you kind of stay true to all the different pieces of it because it's like and part of the thing that felt weird to me about that annual is spider-man in algeria yeah is like mm-hmm. it was fine for one little offshoot but like spider-man fighting the red skull turns him into like an international superhero which it's like well that kind of takes away you know that takes away that he's home and he's dealing with home problems it takes away that he's in new york city which is like kind of the iconic his you know hunting grounds he's friendly neighborhood spider-man like all, all the things that matter right. about spider-man need need to be there for his character but then, you know, you can have examples of Spider-Man being like a fish out of water in a much bigger picture. Maybe that works if you really underline that this is not his comfort zone, that he's, you know, traveling across the country in places that he can't web sling and he doesn't know the whole city. And I mean, they do that in the MCU with uh, Spider-Man in Infinity War, and that works really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any one answer. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I mean, it, um, it kind of depends on. I, I think. Go, go on, go on. Well, I was just going to say, I think to Austin's question, if I think if we knew like, oh, yeah, there's this future skull story coming too, and that's really cool, um, which again, like I think as I said on the time at the time, I don't think he plays no role. Like I, I'm be, I'd be pretty shocked if nobody picked up on this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It just doesn't stand out in my mind as like a crucial Spidey story. Um, I think if we could point to that, we might have a different, it's, it's that sort of, um, what do you call it? Hindsight. Yeah. No, for, for of sure. Story. Part of it is me looking back and just being like, well, he, he doesn't become like a big villain for Spider-Man. I know this. So like, what are they doing? Yeah. Making him like, you know, such a personal, like bringing such personal stakes against Spider-Man. 
So, but you know that he's also kind of the guy, though. If you were gonna do, and I might have even said this, I haven't. It make oh, it makes sense within the context of you know a spy story of the history, yeah. And like, who do okay, who do we have that was around at that time? And they'd be like, well, we brought the skull back, you know. Like, you mm-hmm. don't have a a huge amount of of available characters at that point. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really good question. I think anyone could have opinions on this, and honestly, like, I think they're all pretty valid because at the end of the day we're not the ones telling these stories <laughs> mm-hmm. we are we are picking at like uh what do we what do we think might work but it's not a decision we actually have to make so yeah i think there's like you said i think there is a happy medium of i don't know almost a level of fan service of pulling a villain for that sure will recognize yeah, well it, the point is to like oh hey the red skull you already know he's evil so it you know it's like that yeah. that moment of like i'm i'm just taking the the, the pre-built or the already built insignificance of this character and borrowing it for my storyline today. Yeah. And I mean, I'm inconsistent in my own viewing of that because there are times when I see, oh man, they brought in this character and I'm super excited. And then there are times when I kind of roll my eyes and I'm like, uh, okay, we're shoehorning this guy in. Like he doesn't fit here. You know, it's like, I don't, a lot of it is just like, did they make me believe mm-hmm. this was a sensible place for the villain to occur how wrapped up in the story am i already does, does it make sense within out. the like internal logic of the story and character motivations and all that right and yeah. the red skull like i think i said this this is not the most egregious example like i wasn't no that frustrated with this i i think my i mean the most frustration i had was just thinking like that i knew in the future he doesn't become a big red skull villain which isn't really fair to bring into this comic i think if i was bl- viewing this completely blind i would have been a little bit more like Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if he's going to come back. And then I would have been disappointed later when I saw that yeah, he never became a concern. It's still disappointment, Yeah. 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 All right. So thanks, Austin. Uh, let, let's get into the poll before we read any more letters. The uh, they, this surprisingly cutthroat poll this year of who has the best hat. <laughs> I, like, jokingly went onto the Slack to apologize to everybody for, like, how stupid this was. And then it turned into one of the bigger conversations we've had. <laughs> out like one of the poll questions it's a great poll got, yeah mostly we got uh we got a lot of flack for like not including more of the asgardians specifically hella i think now i is hella okay you know yeah, i think hella, hella would have been the one like we could have replaced juggernaut with hella i think yeah She's got a much more iconic when um when we talked about it originally i feel like we included odin and then he somehow didn't make it onto the list and I did feel a tremendous sense of of guilt and shame over that. Well, o- Odin has a different hat every time. He doesn't have like the Odin crown. Okay, so not not the best hat game, but specifically yes, yeah. the best repeated hat. <laughs> I mean, and the the other uh, obvious choice is Loki with those big horns because that's pretty iconic too. But like the Asgardians almost into... feel unfair. Yeah, I know because they're yeah, all wearing awesome this... crowns. Yeah, someone wrote no Odin, and I was like, we couldn't fit every hat, but like. It would have been all Asgardians. It would have been, you know, Thor, Loki, Hela would have been half the list. We so literally we just, couldn't fit Odin's hats because they're so big. We, we had to leave them Some out. of them are like torso sized. Yeah. Yeah. So last place was Juggernaut with only a single vote. It's not surprising. It's just a helmet. Um, I like Juggernaut's hat. I, I do too, but it, you know. It's, it's not, not a hat, I guess. If he yeah. was wearing a fedora on top of that helmet, how adorable would that be? <laughs> Pretty adorable. Yeah. Uh, Black Bolt. With only three votes. Now, that was kind of surprising to me because uh, I love Black Bolt's design with that weird little tuning rod on his forehead. Yeah. Again, like maybe a mask, not a hat, I guess. Unless you're yeah. counting the well, tuning fork. 
I don't think people are not voting for this because they're like, oh, well, actually, that's not a hat. So, mm, uh, semantics could play a big role here. I don't think any of these are actually a hat. <laughs> now that I'm looking over those, <laughs> none of these are actually hats. So okay. your point doesn't really hold. Uh, Thor's helmet got four yeah. votes, um, which is, I, I like that helmet. Very simple design with the little wings on the side. Um, Scarlet Witch and Magneto tied for seven with the two mutants in the back here. Those are pretty uh, good Scar- hats, yeah. Scarlet Witch would have been my pick. I really love her design. It's it's like very very simple, but um, yeah, it just it works for me. Both, she both might the have, original version. She might have the strangest hat, actually. She has that original one that's like the full covering of her entire face, or like wraps around her face. Yeah. And eventually, it kind of just turns into like a tiara. Yeah. Thing, and I I like both quite a bit. And then Magneto's is like. Just the helmet, but the color scheme and that noseband. I think it's mostly the color scheme that's so iconic for him. Yeah. Um, and then at the top, kind of unsurprisingly, I guess, is Galactus with mm. that that big bendy weird best hat in the Marvel helmet. universe. Um, yeah. I can I can get behind that. Galactus has a very iconic hat. Yeah, yeah, I th- I think so too. I think like out of all these, it's the one of the weirdest ones and. Uh, one of the biggest, most like bold designs. So, yeah. Now what do cool. you do? You remember offhand what's our poll for sixty nine? I don't. We just, I don't announce it during the. Is it a, anyway? No, I was just going to try and do a little tease. Um, oh, but it's it's pretty ineffective tease when I don't know what the, what the poll is. <laughs> I I don't remember. Okay. I always get surprised when we when I'm editing. Yeah, I, right. I find out. Oh yeah, that's right. That's what we were doing that year. Yeah. Oh no, okay. sixty nine is like. 69 is leading into the recap of the whole decade so it's the um best issue of the decade okay did we pick issues yeah i must I have so. yeah i think hmm. Hmm. <laughs> it's I news to me i hope so i'll find out when i when i edit okay anyway yeah so thanks to everyone who participated in the poll it was yes, thank surprisingly you. surprisingly cutthroat moving back into letters so we've got a letter here from peter parsons hey dave and zach I'm still working through the second half of the year, but I've read some good comics in 1968 so far. The Thor issues are my favorite Thor issues so far, which I don't disagree with. Thor was very good in the late 60s. Behold the Vision was a cool character introduction, and I just finished the Captain Marvel reading, which I found interesting and enjoyable, which I find interesting that anyone found Captain Marvel interesting. Um, he goes on to write about some of his favorite issues from this this year specifically. And then he goes on to write, I know you've mentioned before that you have plans to revise the list entering the 70s and beyond. Are there any issues looking back at the 60s that you wish you'd revise the list to include? To ask a similar question, have there been any issues that were genuinely not important enough to include, but that you love anyway and almost wish you could add? For example, I really enjoyed Fantastic Four number 7 back in 1962, Aliens from Planet X, but it's completely insignificant to the larger Marvel continuity. Thanks as always, Peter, a.k.a. the Colossal Chick Man. Yeah, so I think issues I definitely would add to the 60s list, having gone through it again. Um, There are two that immediately come to mind. One is Spectacular Spider-Man Magazine number two, uh, which is a Spider-Man Green Goblin story. It's a huge basis for the Sam Raimi 2000 movie. That came out. Um, that one is essential, and a reader pointed it out to me when we did the 2016 club. Uh, fortunately, uh, because that I missed it on the list the first time, it um, it is reprinted as a 1973 annual. So we're still going to read it uh, as part of the 70s list. But that one I would definitely add again. The second issue that I would definitely add was the Captain America issue that Zach pointed out with Batrock. I think if 
I'm going to take the time to have fun with a character like Stiltman. I should probably also take the time to have fun with a character like Batrock. <laughs> that one's pretty fun and gives you a little different flavor. It's um, very fun, but there's also... I feel like that issue is one of the only ones that does a good job of getting into how Captain Amir how Captain America feels about being displaced in time, unlike a lot of the other ones. So it's weirdly like it starts out kind of serious in dour and then turns into like the most ridiculous villain fight. So that yeah, that one's pretty fun. I think this Tales of Suspense seventy five. Okay, yeah. No, that'd Whoa, be a good, did you hear that? Me just pulling out issue numbers like uh Dave Buson or something. That was pretty good. That yeah. was really good, yeah. All that extra issues homework really come in yeah. handy. God, uh, if uh, if I had to include one, it would be Fantastic Four number eighteen, the introduction of the Super Scroll. Very fun Fantastic Four issue, fun fight issue, fun villain introduction. A better introduction than we see him in Captain Marvel number three, which we just read. And um, yeah, yeah, that was really good. And then Fantastic Four thirty five is also Dragon Man, which like is not necessary. You, you get enough Dragon Man from what we read later in the club, but. I mean, is it ever really enough Dragon Man? I think uh, we do get a lot of Dragon Man. <laughs> nah, it's not enough, <laughs> though. Yeah, we do actually get a, quite a bit of Dragon Man. My biggest personal lament uh, would either be, and again, like I'm always saying, read all the Amazing Spider-Man and Fantastic Four, but my biggest personal lament would either be the introduction of the Scorpion or the introduction of the Rhino in Amazing Spider-Man number 51. Those are both pretty good issues but neither of them are like that necessary or that yeah yeah i, I feel like you'll get the gist later i just Although like those it is characters pretty fun. yeah when uh when spider-man rips off the scorpion's tail that's pretty fun yeah yeah they're fun characters as far as the 70s list go yes there are revisions being made yes they are based on new series that have been added to marvel limited since i originally created this in 2016 of which there are many um the thing i would say right now is i'm really excited about the additions that are coming, I think this 70s, everything now, honestly, like I have a big chunk of 1973 that I want to revise. So I would say if you did the list the first time or if you're looking ahead or even moving ahead in your own reading, um, everything from 1973 forward is going to be pretty extensively revised or at least considered for revision. Um, uh-huh. So there's a lot coming there, which I'm actually really excited about. Like there's from small stuff to honestly like entire character runs like Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu things that weren't there before um stuff like Luke Cage going to Doctor Doom to get his um to get his money like to get his money honey that uh that famous issue is was not an MU the first time and it's going to be in there the second time also like Black Panther uh in Jungle Action was not oh yeah I'm excited about the the Black Panther stuff yeah I have a lot a lot of thoughts on that series so there's a lot of good stuff coming um, I think I've, we've been getting some feedback in the, in the Slack about like, Hey, I really want to read seventies defenders and stuff like that, which has also been expanded. So if you have things you're looking forward to, let us know. I think, um, that will help honestly. Like, again, mm-hmm. I'm coming to a lot of these fresher because they haven't been around. Um, so, you know, get your feedback in now. Cause the, the changes, I think my goal is to have the seventies done, like re- the list revised and out to the club. Um, and again, patrons get a downloadable copy of this. Uh, my goal is to have this done by the time we are starting to podcast about the 1970s. Um, yeah. So you know, I want to have that whole the whole decade updated. And so if you already have thoughts. read, if you've already read like far into the future, well, the, it will be demarcated somehow. What is new and what is old uh, through the spreadsheets? If you have the downloadable one, you'll be able to see what's the difference. Yeah, I think the hardest thing is like figuring out what to cut. You know. 
because I, I don't even feel- know if we have to cut like I, I I'm of the mind of like unless unless you really are like hey I read this before and it's a real stinker and I regret putting it in <laughs> I I don't know like well I but I guess you want to stick to the the ten story it's thing, sticking that, to the format just, you know I think honestly that, we could put this to the club too like would you rather we just added or yeah. would you rather we cut and kept it more manageable um, yeah. Let your feedback on that as well. Again, yeah, you can please, reach out yeah. to my role this year at Gmail or, of course, anywhere on the Slack. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay, um, moving on to another letter here. We've got one from The Mormagill. Writes in again. And he, he wrote a bunch. He said you don't have to actually read all this, but I th- he brings up a couple of points I wanted to mention. With uh, Jim Storenko in Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think it was number one. The scene with Nick Fury and the Countess. What, what was her name again, Dave? Uh, she is La Contessa de Valentine Allegra de Fontaine, yeah. I think. Yeah, 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 you're right. Is that right? I think that, that's pretty impressive. The scene with Nick Fury and the Countess was censored by Stan Lee. It was supposed to show a telephone and then show it off the hook. Uh, and we all know what that means. Except that I wouldn't have. Like, I think if I was reading that issue and it just showed, like, the phone off the hook, I wouldn't have been like, oh, man, what's going on in there? Like, I... That's not as much of like a universal symbol to me, maybe. That, that is interesting, yeah. But the thing that Stan made him redraw it as, uh, or Stan made him Jim Stranko redraw it, and he ch- chose to show the uh, the gun gun in the holster uh, as his imagery for sex, which like I think that's more suggestive. But um, uh, Moore McGill also goes on to say, "I love Buscema's Mephisto. He's so sinister looking. The story didn't really work for me either, but the art made it enjoyable. I like seeing them." work with the longer format i think the series gets worse if they get shortened to regular size which like i'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it but whew, i do, i do not agree uh i i with mephisto I like the silver no just uh about that like that he he doesn't like them when they get to um like a short 22 pages and he likes the the long 45 page format because like at least with these issues i felt like oh all of these could have been very good issues at half the length they yeah. just trim, trim the fat off them. I have a hard time like seeing. But you know what? If you're just enjoying it and you're just like, hey, it's more more pages of something I'm liking. Cool. Like, yeah, I'm I think glad. that one, it, definitely it's a function of we're reading a lot of comics at once. You know, where yeah. like when you, because honestly, even a really good 45 pages is a heck of an ask when you're putting yeah. it in the in the context of all the other stories that we're trying to, to yeah. talk about. Um, So I don't, when I read them the first time, I didn't feel, I didn't feel the length as much. You know, I definitely have a more, oh, have I a did. lot more sentimental view of like Silver Surfer as a whole from the first read through that I ever did. Uh, so I can, I can see that. But now I'm kind of like, oh boy, <laughs> these could be condensed. Yeah, he also includes that he only listens to this song while listening to Silver Surfer. Includes a link to Joe Satriani's song "Back to Shalabal." Oh, did you did you know about this? No, I didn't. That's from uh from his album Flying in a Blue Dream. Awesome. So, I wonder if it's a little Silver Surfer reference. <laughs> if, that, if that wasn't a Silver Surfer reference, that would be such a weird twist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe Stanley took that name from something else. But is Shala Ball something else? Yeah, maybe so. Okay, so we have a letter from Chris here with um with some history. Some people think Marvel Silver Age ends this year, which I think ties into Dave's comments that this is Marvel Phase Two, and Zach's feeling sixty seven, sixty eight comics are not as fun. Behind the scenes, I think there's some reasons for this. Hope I get the history right. Martin Goodman, Marvel's owner, is trying to sell Marvel. 
so there's an edict not to change the characters. Marvel increased the number of titles they are publishing for the first time since 55 from 8 to 12 monthly titles. This gives space for new characters to get a title, but also spreads Lee's writing talent at Marvel thinner. Side note, Marvel was being distributed by their rival. National Publications owned both DC and Independent News. They were limited to eight titles because DC National was trying to stop Goodman from flooding the comic market, which he had done in the 50s. Can we stop here to talk about that for a minute? Sure. That that makes so much sense to me. That mm-hmm. like if uh, Martin Goodman's trying to, to sell Marvel and doesn't want to, you know, have, have these big any kind of changes that could be viewed as negatively by a, a buyer, that he wouldn't want the characters to fundamentally change. That makes like so much sense for how I feel about what's happening in 1967, 68. Like, that it just feels like we're in a holding pattern. Yeah, I do also, I think the line expansion is an interesting call out because this is something I've been talking about on, on Comic Book Herald Social a little bit, is Marvel in their comics today, 2019, has been running a lot of Stan's soapbox columns um, as sort of these intersectional ads that, like, stealth, quote-unquote stealth address issues that, that consumers and readers have today with the publisher and the one they've run most recently is in 1968, like mid-1968, Stan Soapbox, in which he addresses uh, reader concerns that Marvel's publishing too many titles. So like the idea that, you know, now they've expanded to 12 to 15, basically. Captain and America, saying, Iron Man, Hulk all get their own solo series. Yeah, they all start getting their own solo. Um, and of course, we talked about, you know, hey, Nick Fury gets a book. Captain Marvel gets a book, right? You do. And Silver Surfer, you do actually get these new new ones entering the market. And the, the soapbox is interesting to read in the context of what we're reading in 68. Marvel's trying to use it now to address the fact that they publish um, about two times as many comics per week as what Marvel was putting out in an entire year. It's in wild. To what yeah. Stan was addressing. But I, yeah. I do think that the fact that consumers would have been feeling the pinch mm-hmm. uh, of like, hey, you're publishing too much. I can't keep up uh, is a really interesting modern problem that lee was addressing even as it was clearly like they finally just got the go-ahead to expand in in 68 and lee's answer for what it's worth and i would recommend reading the whole thing but he basically says something to the effect of like but everyone's asking us to do a silver surfer yeah (laughs) he's like you know he's like but you know like you're complaining about it but also everyone's asking for a nick fury title we can't give everybody what they want if we don't expand well, I mean, there's that, but also just like, yeah, people want it. We're going to give it to them so we can make more money, clearly, yeah, right? I course. mean, it's just, it's a business. Well, one, I, I think I kind of hate that modern Marvel is using that to like deflect criticism. Oh, I found it very distasteful. Yeah, it, it's very like, hey, you love Stan Lee. Don't argue with Stan Lee. Well, because they've, they've done that exact thing with, um, with ideas of diversity or representation and Stan saying like, you know, or like putting politics and political issues in comics. Um, which I have more of a uh, a respect for, like saying, hey, this was Stan's approach back in the 60s. This has always been a part of our history. That I have some respect for, and I don't mind them using the soapbox for that. Well, that that's a little different because that's like, that, that also is more in tune with like, oh, hey, we're politically or philosophically consistent with how we've always been and how our founding is. This is saying like, people are complaining that, hey, you're putting out four more comics per month. That's quite a bit for me to like try to keep up with versus you're putting out 105 issues per month now you know like that that expansion and that like it, it's just fundamentally it's very different yeah no i totally agree i i think ironically it's very much like this is who we've always been we've always been 
a place that encourages diversity and, and new perspectives, which you could argue with in different yep. different capacities. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or and and we've always been a place that's about making money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Sure, that that feels honest in a way. Yeah, I mean, of course, of course, it is. Um, the other thing I was just thinking that's kind of interesting is uh, how foreign of an idea that like buying eight comics a month is not that wild, especially like in the '60s, right? At, at a nickel a piece or whatever. Like, how interesting is that to think? That it's like a, a superhero universe where you can pretty easily read everything. The yeah. entire superhero universe, like, that doesn't really happen. <laughs> of course not, right? Like, if you tried to read every Marvel comic coming out every week, you know, you're reading 20 issues a week just on Marvel Unlimited. DC is the same. What about Valiant? How, I don't know how many issues Valiant puts out concurrently, because they do some good stuff, and they have a pretty cool universe. I don't Valiant, know how many they put out per week. Yeah, Valiant is is the publisher that definitely... You can keep up with all of Valiant if yeah. you want to, um, which is, I would say, their greatest strength. Frankly, it yeah. is like yeah, I, I, it is I love a that concise universe. Started looking into them. I would love yeah. to like. I think when we finish my marvelous year, uh, you know, and everyone's expecting us to uh, to pivot into my DC year. Let's just like really, really juke them and uh, go into a my Valiant year. Yeah. No, I just updated the, the complete Valiant universe reading order on comic book herald and it's like it, it actually reminds me a little bit of like the ultimate universe mm-hmm. where of yeah. marvel's ultimate universe where it's like yeah you can read this whole thing like yeah. it is not yeah, yeah. crazy to do that um yeah. you can do it and it's enjoyable for a lot of people yeah Valiant's pretty cool i read i read a lot of those a while ago um here uh, i'll pick up the the letter also there's some artist issues bushema and colon god i keep calling colon colon both are unhappy doing superhero comics, and Romita and a few other artists wanted actual scripts and didn't like working with the Marvel method, so this also stretched Stan Lee. And since this is Roy Thomas's first comic job, he's still inexperienced in developing his own style independent of Stan Lee. Yeah, which you could definitely feel. Roy Thomas is just trying to, like, play as Stan Lee for a long time. We don't need to get into Roy Thomas, but I, I've been assured in the Slack that, like, I probably will dislike Roy Thomas less as time goes on. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward I'm to that. I'm dubious at this point. It is your greatest feud. <laughs> yeah. No, but, no. It, to, to be fair, by like 1970, I am not fuming every time a Roy Thomas comic comes up. Like, I don't like them necessarily, but I also don't hate them. Like, it's kind of like, oh, okay, this is just going to be a, you know, a workman-like comic that won't stick out negatively or positively to me. Yeah. The Kreskar War will be an interesting test yeah okay yeah no i i've i've th- he's he's a he's written some issues i've liked so i, I don't want to like rag on him too much but yeah at the beginning i hated him i mean not him you know what i mean i hated his writing but like I, i've grown to hate it less finally kirby is allegedly avoiding giving his new character designs to marvel some people claim kirby wouldn't do it but looking at the new character output it sure seemed like a slow it's like it slowed to a trickle at the end of 67 he has a lot of reasons to be upset but here's a few he was trying to get a new contract with Marvel to give him a stable retirement and get more credit for his work. He's seen people removed from credit once they leave the publisher and wants to establish permanent credit for his work. He had to throw away some of the work he had done on Silver Surfer when Stan gave Silver Surfer number one to Bushema. He felt like this character was stolen from him in his ties into his struggle to get more credit. And he was tired of Stan dumbing down his work. The recent example was the him storyline, which I'm not sure what that uh, is in reference to, but I know he created him, Adam Warlock. I like those issues a lot, but yeah, I'm not sure what um, Stanley did to Jack Kirby's original idea there. That said, I still think there's a lot of great stuff going on. Amazing Spider-Man and Thor are great for the entire year. Starenko, even if he doesn't stay at Marvel long, shows the way forward. 
way towards the new Marvel bullpen to come. You know what I was just thinking that's wild is that uh, Starenko, like, Starenko is such a big, left such a big impact on my Marvel reading in these last couple of years. He's such, like, a big name for me. He read, he wrote 14 comics for Marvel, period. <laughs> yeah. Like, and some of those I thought were awful. So, like, the ones that I think he would, he did a good job on, probably 10, maybe, or, like, the style that I like, but it was so big and so fresh and imaginative that like i don't know he seems like such a big name yeah the impact he has in a in a short run is pretty amazing um, yeah I, honestly i think the thing that really stands about it too is like guys who come in and are big deals in comics tend to stay in comics forever you know uh whereas jim Sorenko does not and yeah, he I went think- into like he, he uh he became the editor for marvel's fan magazine foom pretty soon for like a year and then he moved out of comics entirely except for like here and there he's still alive he just did um like what is it called the uh doomsday clock for dc he did one of the variant covers for like a rorschach issue sure he uh he worked on action comics number 1000 and like contributed a page or something and then he worked uh, on movie sets doing like design work for raiders of the lost ark i think and something else so like He's had, he's had a really interesting, like, varied career. I don't think comics were his first love. Like, reading about it, he says, uh, yeah, I was making good money comics, but it was never the same as when I was working in marketing, <laughs> you know, and, like, design yeah. for marketing. Yeah. So I think he, he had a lot of other interests. Yeah, interesting guy. Let's move into our uh, superhero, supervillain, the My Marvelous Year universe of heroes and villains. Okay. Who are we doing first? Um, let's start with one of yours. Okay. Because I have two in a row. My, my two are linked together. So, so I have a new new hero to be created. And this is from our patron, Ben Grieving. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Ben, for yeah, your support you, on Patreon. And here is Ben's hero origin. Ben was out playing paintball at a bachelor party with his friends. And uh, he was rolling around in the dirt. He's firing his paintball gun furiously. And he dives into what appears to be a tire, you know, a big rubber tire out in the paintball field for cover. And as he's doing this, all of a sudden, the ground opens up under this tire. Mm -hmm. He falls through. And he begins sinking through this giant warp of time and space. Oh, yeah, as you do. Right, frequently. And he lands in a moat, big open body of water. Mm-hmm. Doesn't know how to swim, but he flails his way out of there, gets to dry land, still has his paintball gun in hand. Mm-hmm. A group of traveling uh, knights in medieval armor approach him, and they say, Where goest thou, sir? And Ben <laughs> replies by frantically, he doesn't expect them, he's freaked out that they're in knight's armor, he thinks he's still playing paintball, he fires, mm-hmm. he unloads yeah. four mm-hmm. paintballs directly into the chest of the largest uh, knighted sir in front of him. Okay. And he colors him green, red, blue, pink, different shades of paint. And this knight is shocked. The knights freak out. What manner of wizardry is this? And then Ben says, you know, he explains it was an accident. He didn't mean to fire. He mm-hmm. pretty quickly realizes he's traveled through time back to medieval times okay and he uh doesn't know how he got there he doesn't know how he's going to get back but he's got his paintball gun and the knights these traveling knights they take him in as one of their own and when ben uh when they realize it's just paint they all break out into laughter 
at the fact that they're all okay. And they call him the Laughing Knight. And they think that he has this weapon that is mystical and something magic that cannot be defeated. But of course, Ben knows, one, it's only paint. And two, Mm -hmm. he only has a limited supply of ammo. So Mm -hmm. he can almost never use his paintball gun lest he run out of ammo. But the, the people of the realm run scared of him thinking he has this unbeatable weapon at his disposal. So he has a paintball gun. He can almost never use it because he has so much ammo. And he's trapped in medieval times looking for a way back. This is The Laughing Knight. I, I was like holding my breath like, how does this tie into his name? Does it? I, that would be a silly way to come up with it. I, last night I was just talking to my wife about like, uh, yeah, if you, uh, the, the difference between our, how you and I come up with stuff. And I was like, well, I think I come up with the concept first and then work in the story. And then I was like, Dave just looks at the name, comes up with a name, a pun name first. And then <laughs> fits the story. So I was like holding my breath, like, where's, where's the, name? oh, that was good. No, I'm sorry. My, my, uh, my reaction was underwhelming. No, no, no. Because I was you like, gotta, you got a zig when people expect you to zag. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So he's he's stuck in the past? He is stuck for the time being. Interesting. Interesting. But so he doesn't actually have powers. He's just a man with a paintball gun and armed with like modern knowledge back in the uh, medieval medieval times. A little kid in King Arthur's court. Yeah. It's, um, you know, Rambo with paint. Interesting. I like the <laughs> paintball gun. That's but you can't do anything. It's not very effective. Just freak people out. You can, th- you can. People think you can do something. Sometimes I mean, that's it, half the battle. I guess it kind of hurts, and you get covered in paint, and it's unpleasant. Listen, I didn't say this is going to end well for Ben. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to come up with a new one for Ben when uh, when another knight just comes and uh, cuts him down because he realizes it's just paint in, in the next next episode. <laughs> 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 um, okay. So. Uh, the, what I have is, we've got two patrons here, and their story intertwines. I've got Kurt and Aaron, and Kurt and Aaron are both students at a university. They answer a newsletter for a psychological study being done on campus. And uh, if you know anything about psych studies, very often all the subjects are just psych department undergrads. <laughs> So anytime you read like a social psychology paper, uh, that, that's who they're experimenting on because that's who they can get into the lab. And this lab is working on a machine, kind of like the uh, encephalo gun, where you, you hook it up to two brains and you can transfer emotions from one to the other. Uh, and they're working on this for a bunch of reasons to try to work on some uh, maybe therapy techniques, some kind of empathy training. And so Kurt and Aaron are on other sides of a wall, like a partition, so they don't know who the other one is. And the machine is supposed to be transferring the emotions of Kurt into Aaron. And something goes awry in the laboratory, and the machinery starts beeping and shuddering. And uh, they, they both get a little nervous, but they think, okay, well, you know, nothing's going to go wrong. The scientists know what's happening. The scientists do not know what's happening in the machine. It explodes, pushing the both of them backwards. Uh, the scientists rush these two out of uh, out of the lab separately after making sure that they're okay, apologizing, kind of getting them to say they won't tell anyone what happened here. But something's a little wrong with both of them. Aaron walks away feeling flooded with emotions. Yeah. And, uh, and for the rest of the day, he's just feeling sad and angry and excited, all in equal measures. 
And uh, he soon, come, soon comes to realize that he can unleash these emotions upon others and kind of take his emotions and pour them out into other people. Uh, and mm-hmm. he starts using this to manipulate emotions for villainous ends. Mm. And his, his supervillain name is Overwhelm. Very good. Uh, Kurt, on the other hand, walks away feeling a little uh, a little blank, a little empty, maybe. Um, but when he starts talking to... Uh, friends and family about what happened or just about stuff in his normal day-to-day life he realizes that he can take in people's emotions and he like feels their emotions intimately um even though his own emotions feel a little dulled he can take in other people's and uh and then he realizes he can take them and reflect them back at the person that he's uh talking to so he can take and amplify and maybe tweak a little bit so you know maybe if somebody's feeling a little optimistic he can take that and kind of crank it up in the other person just a little bit so he can't he can't influence somebody entirely but or uh with emotions they didn't normally have but he can he can kind of take and reflect their emotions back at him using the therapeutical technique of reflection aka his hero name the reflector so it's spelled how is that spelled is it with a k no it is not with a k so he, he finds out you know maybe you can uh if there's a bank robber, you can take that tiny little feeling of uh, insecurity. Maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I shouldn't do this. You can yeah. take that and he can turn that emotion all the way up and, uh, you know, maybe maybe use that for good. Or, you know, somebody who is down in the dumps, you can take their any any kind of feelings of hope and uh, manipulate that to to increase. Um, and so he's going to use this to uh, to fight crime. OK, a lot of emotional manipulation being used yeah. for various. Yeah, so Kurt, Kurt and Aaron. Similar similar powers, but kind of uh, subtly different in the way that they can work on other people's emotions. Okay, very good. Our last detail that we're going to add is a supplement to Peter Parsons, a.k.a. the Colossal Chickman narrative. Um, if you remember, Peter Parsons has acquired all the powers of a radioactive fried chicken after he was bitten by stop, one. He's not fried. Don't put that on him. <laughs> I listen to the tape. I don't make the rules. Um, so he, uh, in his new found crime fighting career, he meets, uh, he meets a girl. He meets a girl. Her name is Cornelia Kentucky. And she is the daughter of Peter's employer, who we will not get into significant detail here. But let's just say Peter and his employer have a fairly contentious relationship. And this, of course, leads to some drama with Cornelia. Uh, she, they have a developing romance where they are trying to go out. Of course, her father does not prove they're trying to go out on dates again, lest we forget Peter Parsons is a mere high schooler at this point in time. And, uh, you know, they're, they're falling for each other. Now, the, the trick here is Cornelia Kentucky. She discovers through some investigation that she's doing. Um, she's a very curious person. She's very inquisitive. She's considering maybe a journalism career in the future, uh, she uncovers the fact that Peter Parsons is this this colossal chick man mm, who's been mm-hmm. like she's you know so they're like they're alone. Well, he has he has to stop clucking. That's that's really <laughs> the <bad> giveaway. <laughs> they're alone and he can't stop clucking. And they get into Peter's car to go on a date, and it just reeks of fried chicken. Like it is the strongest fried chicken smell you have ever smelled. Um, and she's like, do you have an air freshener in here? That's like, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's chicken scented. Got one. Got one. That's chicken scented. <laughs> and uh, so Cornelia starts putting these clues together. And she realizes that, you know, and it's on the news a little bit. This new colossal chick man's been stopping some crime. 
um, you know, a few bank robberies here and there, you know, stopped a few muggers, right? He's getting a little bit of attention for himself. Yeah. And Cornelia puts two and two together. Now, she is pretty excited by this. Cornelia Kentucky likes this idea that the person she's dating is the colossal chick man, but because he hasn't told her, um, she doesn't want to sort of embarrass him. And yeah. Tell him that that she knows. Right. Um, but she's also like has no has no you know reason to think otherwise at this point. So when he is like, oh, I've got an allergy attack, I better go stop that police. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I better go blow my nose. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Right. She's totally on board with it. Um, and she's going and she's actually documenting his adventures. So when Peter sneaks off to stop a crime, Cornelia also sneaks off to write down what's happening. Mm, and then okay. she has basically com- like she's working on a little novella of the colossal chick man's career while she's dating him. And she's totally into this. She loves it. So that's as far as I'm going to go today uh, with Cornelia Kentucky, the girlfriend of the colossal chick man. Interesting. So it's kind of like Peter Parker, you know, he's he's taking pictures and documenting his own thing. But he's who's got- that? Oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I forgot. I don't, I don't think I'd know that guy in this universe. Yeah, Peter Parsons uh, is the only alliterative Peter name <laughs> in this world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. So uh, can, I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. What, what's her name again? Cornelia Kentucky. How do you spell Kentucky? However you want. Con- I mean, it looks unpleasant written out. Con- <laughs> Don't spell like that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, let me see. I just want to. Do a shout out for our other $10 and up patrons. Got Dan, the Terrible Toffeen, Steve, the Naysayer, Keith, Screenshot, Chris, uh, Christina, the Taylor, CJ, the Backup Generator. All right. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been My Marvelous Year variant cover. You can find all the reading lists that we've been talking about over on MyMarvelousYear.com. Uh, you can find them in the Patreon channel. Jack, Zach shares them out weekly. Uh, combo Herald email club. You can find them in the show notes, all mm-hmm. sorts of places. You can get all the comics that we're reading. And of course we recommend you try to read these um, through Marvel unlimited where possible. It's the most cost effective way to get at all these good Marvel comics. Uh, music for the show is by disaster piece. That is D I S A S ter piece. And you can find their music at uh, Bandcamp, <laughs> Spotify, wherever music is consumed. Speaking of music, the my Marvel this year Slack channel, Collaborative so playlist is my favorite thing this month. It is yeah, so it's, fun. It's wild. It's so wild. Is. I love it. Yeah, we we just have this like big playlist where everyone's contributing one song a day, and uh, it's yeah, it's really good and it's so varied. You know, I'll put it on shuffle and it will be like it will go from like an electro swing, French electro swing to early '90s Mary J. Blige to Lincoln Park to Cypress Hill. Lincoln Park made me so nostalgically happy. That was very funny when that I, popped up. Oh man. Yeah. yeah, but then like all kinds of stuff I've never heard of. Those are the ones I've heard of. But then, you know, we've got like some country, some folk, some like indie rock, some alt rocks, a lot of rap, like I consider myself a connoisseur of a lot of different types of music and definitely yeah. a music discovery, and I found tons of new music through this playlist. Like it's yeah, me so too. exciting. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh, uh, I just want to mention uh, during May, let me know if you're uh, sharing out the word about My Marvelous Here podcast, and I will put you in the drawing for the Fantastic Four number one facsimile edition. I've already gotten a couple people uh, who let me know, and we really appreciate that. 
I'll do the drawing at the end of the month. I'll, I'll announce it on the Slack and out on Twitter who wins the uh, the copy of the comic book. But we really appreciate people spreading the word. Absolutely. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next year. See you next year. Hello, cool. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. It, I do love I do love this design. She looks good. She looks real good. Actually, it's that green and black costume. It's actually got um it does look very new gods esque to me. Uh it's like it looks like it has Pashina, a W on it. Which I don't, it has a W on it? There's there's a letter on it. Like her she I think on her chest. What does the W um, stand for? I'm gonna guess woman. Um <laughs> what else could it be? I don't know. She looks very cool though. Yeah, give me a second because I want to make sure I, I'm not saying that wrong. Do not remember there being embroidery on her. Yeah, I mean when Galactus shows uh, up, give- he's got the big G for God. So what is the what is the W contrast? Yep, it's a W. I have no idea. Hmm. Uh, okay, well that's a mystery. Yeah, if if you, if you know what that is, write in now. Yeah, but do, do you know Tim and Eric Awesome Show? Like Tim Heidecker? I I know of them. I've never really watched it. Yeah, that that's just like. A huge point of reference that <laughs> we're uh, we're different on. Uh, yeah, he's probably he's, listened to more of his music than I. What have ever actually? God, that's so he, weird. That's just like, do you know Johnny Depp the actor? No, but I love his music. <laughs> <laughs> I love his painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I'm a big fan of his band. Like, <laughs> that, that's exactly the same exact thing. Yeah, you, I mean, I know you just said the Kree Scroll War is happening in the '70s, and I know that's a thing. And I must have read it because I read my Marvelous Year up through like the early 80s in the past, but I don't remember a thing about it. <laughs> so I wonder how much of an impression it's going to leave on me. I do a remember lot one. Happens. Yeah. I remember one issue of it's like one Kree warrior and one Skrull warrior are on the moon fighting. That's in the like, 80s. That's later. That might be yeah. a Fantastic Four annual by John Byrne. I think, I think that sounds right. It's really cool. So that's a cool bu- issue. Buckle up. Well, because that, that- I, I really like that. Unless I'm... That, that stuck with me. Yeah, I, I think so, because that might be in the background of... Or maybe it's an X-Men, actually. It might be an X-Men thing, like, the, the rest of the X-Men are on the moon, and... It's kind of like that... Two. Well, we should cut this, because it's getting ahead. But it's kind of like that Shi'ar... Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Them, like, Phoenix some... Saga? Yeah, it's not during that. Something to do with the Shi'ar. It might just yeah. be, like, adjacent to that, where they might show, like, Hey, and over here, just so you know, the X-Men are running around on the other side of the moon. Yeah, then, no, you're totally. I remember this issue. I've looked at it not that long ago. It's the only like Cree scroll thing I ever remember. I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll cut this, put it in outtakes. Yeah. Um, it's a populated. Uh, excuse me. Keep <laughs> that in. No. Hot. Uh, <laughs> okay. That'll, yeah. No, that'll be good. Let's God, give them, okay. give them can, their due. Can I, I just? I need to ask you. Well, I'm going to ask you again when we talk about it, but I mm-hmm. can't wait. <laughs> you, Spider-Man's parents were killed by the f- Red Skull. What? I love <laughs> like, that. I love that. It, I I thought it's weird because I've never ever seen Spider-Man mention the Red Skull ever again. Right. So like, is he that ever become a thing? like? No, that that's an interesting point. Like, you think he'd become that, more that's of an arch nemesis? About it was just like, as far as I know, do they ever interact again? It's like when he joins the Avengers and the Red Skull does something. Is he right. like, oh, that was the guy who killed my dad? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think it'd be a bigger it, thing? It would be his like arch villain. Um, I don't but- think it comes up often at all. It, the reason I like it, I think, is because they totally play with that in the '90s animated series, and like oh, I yeah. just kind of got like this fond memory of that being just like a bonker story idea, and then huh. realizing like it was actually from this annual was surprising and exciting to me. 
Okay, um, well, we'll 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 argue about it. Yeah, well, we don't no, argue, but well, we'll I don't think it's like I think it's a good. I guess we could. I can argue the ideas are good. Um, I don't yeah. think it's a great issue, certainly. Yeah.